the only time that I've ever seen people spit out food um, out of their mouth on purpose was on the TV show uh, MasterChef in, in the U.S. Um, with Gordon Ramsay. The star of the show ate something unpalatable and he spat it out in disgust, probably because, I mean, something was probably wrong with the food, but it, it seems to me Gordon Ramsay doesn't seem like a, the nicest man in the world and he seems a bit of a jerk. Um, it's quite a rude thing to do to spit out food. Um, uh, spit out food. Um, uh, but that's the picture that we're given in verses 15 and verse six, uh, verses 16. I know your deeds, that you are neither cold nor hot. I wish you were either one or the other. So because you are lukewarm, um, neither hot nor cold, I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. And this is a church in Laodicea. Of course, the surprise is that this is a church. This isn't, he's not talking to some non-Christian secular world that's doing terrible things. This is a congregation of believers who came together each Sunday to worship Jesus. People who seem to have everything sorted. If you ask them, what do you need? They would have answered, well, I've acqu- I'm rich, I've acquired wealth. I don't know. I don't need anything. That's the kind of church that, uh, that, that Jesus is speaking to. And yet, Jesus, as Jesus uh, comes as, as, as the Amen, the, the true word, the words that are, that are done as faithful witness, True witness, the ruler of God's creation. These are true words. And as Jesus looks at church in Laodicea, he says, well, you are lukewarm, and I will spit you out of my mouth. In today's lingo, it would be, you make me sick, and I can't have you in my mouth. Well, if you're asking, what exactly is Jesus so sick about? Why is he so sick of this church? Well, stating the obvious is that Jesus thinks that Luke, Jesus thinks that lukewarmness, tepidness, is not an option for this church for, or, or for any church. A person can either be hot or cold, not lukewarm towards the gospel. A person can fall in love with Jesus and really fall in love with him and commit to him in marriage or reject him completely and say, that's not for me. But you can't have this flirtatious, non-committing relationship with Jesus. A person can either be alive in Christ Jesus or dead in sin, but you can't have this zombie-like status, unlike what the popular TV shows these days. You know what I'm talking about, right? TV shows around zombies. Anyway, no zombies should exist. Lukewarmness... Um, is not an option for Christianity, for a church, any church, for any person. The lukewarm, however, is the, how, we, uh, how we view Christianity, uh, how we think about the gospel. This is Francis Chan in his book, uh, Crazy Love. This is what he says about American Christianity, I think, which just as well applies for us. It says the goal of American Christianity are often nice marriage, children who don't swear, and good church attendance. Goal of Christianity is often nice marriage, children who don't swear, and good church attendance. Um, Sorry, you have to... Well, um, it's not just in America. I think this is true of Hong Kong churches as well, many churches. Uh, And and as we, Shatin Churches, started our conversation about church vision, 
what the, where the church is going to go. If the church goal is to have nice people who have good marriages, nice kids who don't swear, who do well in school and who do good things, good music team, good church attendance, maybe a church building, if that's the goal, then we're shooting for tepid Christianity. Lukewarm Christianity that might be spat out by Jesus. If we truly understand the, both the nature of the gospel and the call of the gospel, what the gospel is and what Jesus is calling us to be, then tepidness is not an option. So let's look at the nature of the gospel, what Jesus says about the gospel. This is what he said in Matthew thirteen forty four. You don't have to turn to it, I'll read it to you. The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a, in, in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again, and then in his joy went and sold all he had, and he bought that field. The kingdom of heaven is like this treasure. If you find it, you sell everything that you have to buy it. The next verse tells a similar story of the pearl, the precious pearl. When he finds, the merchant finds the pearl, he sells everything that he has and buys the pearl because the pearl is that precious to him, because this is the most important thing to him. The very nature of the gospel inspires complete devotion, complete self-surrender to possess it, self-sacrifice, complete abandonment of everything that they have. If you're wondering why, why, what, what is so precious, if we go back to our passage, look at the promises, the promises that are given in this gospel. Verse 18, I counsel you to buy from me gold refined by fire so you can become rich and white clothes to wear so you can cover your shame, shameful nakedness and salve to put, put on your eyes so you can see. The promise is gold refined by fire so you can be rich. Uh, forgiveness to cover your shame, righteousness um, that, 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 that is given to us, and healing so we can see the world and, 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 and the eternity with the right eyes. So all those things are promised in Jesus, but that's not the only thing. He says that if you open the door of your heart and let Jesus in, well, if you let, if we let as a church let Jesus into this church, Jesus promises true intimacy in verse 20. I will come in and eat with that person and they with me. This is a person who wants a friendship, who wants to be in our lives. You don't, um, I know, uh, uh, you don't always invite people into uh, uh, to, to our homes in Hong Kong, but th- th- those people who you invite in, uh, you want that, you are pursuing that kind of intimacy. And that is what Jesus is offering. We, uh, he wants an intimate relationship with us, and that's on the offer. You know, one uh, right relationship, when you have one, if your marriage uh, is going right or if your relationship with the, uh, the, the, the uh, one person is going right, it just feels everything. You can do everything, right? You, 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 it gives you that sort of confidence to face the world, if, even if the world is going bad. And that is the relationship that's on the offer. All relationships, all good things about relationships uh, point to this relationship, that that perfect relationship with Jesus, and that's on the offer. But that's not the, only, that's not the end of it. Um, the promise is not only present intimacy and future intimacy with Jesus, but future glory as well in verse 21. 
He says, to the one who is victorious, I will give the right to sit with me on my throne, just as I was victorious and sat down with my father on his throne. If you visit the parliament in England, um, there's a a throne that the queen sits in once a year to give this address. It's a beautiful throne, and of course, it's cordoned off so no one else can sit in it um, during uh, the normal day. if you, in order to sit on the throne, you need the crown. You need to be the queen or the king of England. But could you imagine, once you make it to heaven, and you're just flabbergasted that you've made it to heaven because of Jesus. You're just so thankful that despite who you are, despite all the things that you have done, you made it to, G- uh, to, to heaven because of Jesus. And you're just so thankful. And then Jesus gets up out of his throne. And then he says, sit with me on my throne. I will share this throne with you. That's on the offer. That's the offer of the gospel. What the Laodicean church has done is that they misunderstood the nature of the gospel. This is how Rico Tice uh, of Christianity Explorer puts it. If the gospel of Jesus Christ is not the best news that you have ever heard... If this isn't the best news that you have ever heard, you have misunderstood what the gospel is. You don't understand what the gospel is. If the gospel of Jesus Christ doesn't make you want to shout for joy, and when you think about it, it doesn't, if it doesn't bring you strength, it doesn't, if, if it doesn't bring you peace, it, it doesn't bring you assurance and security on all the things that you are looking for in life, the true things that you're looking for in life, you have, you can be quite sure that you misunderstood what the gospel is. It's that sort of news. It's the news that inspires complete devotion. The nature of the gospel says, says that it inspires people to give up everything that they have and then to say, you know, I have made no sacrifice in life. I have made no sacrifice because I have gained things that are even more precious than what I have given up. That's the nature of the gospel. Because this is the nature of the gospel You can say, I love Jesus and I want to give everything to him. Or you say, I reject him. But anything in the middle is not an option. Lukewarmness is not an option. And that, because that is the kind of thing that Jesus is offering, Jesus also calls, calls us to give up everything for him. Because he says he is worth it. Relationship with him is worth it. And once again, this is what we find in Luke uh, 14, 25. You don't have to turn to it. I'll read it to you. Luke uh, 14, 25. Large crowd were traveling with Jesus and turning to them, he said, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yet, yes, even his own, own life, such a person cannot be my disciple. And whoever does not carry their cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. We're so easily impressed by numbers. And yet, you see in that passage how patently not interested Jesus is in numbers. So, here's a large crowd, verse, uh, Luke 14, 25, large crowd that's following him. And Jesus turns around and sees this crowd and he goes, I need to have some of these people go home. Large crowd, do not, they don't understand what it means to follow me. 
he turns to this crowd and he says that unless, unless your love for me is so great that your love for anything else looks like hatred, unless you want to abandon everything, your life, yes, even your own life, to follow me, unless you want to follow me like that, I don't want you to follow me. I'm not interested in me running a huge church. He's not interested in having fake followers. He's interested in those few who will come completely devote their lives to him and follow him and say, I have given up everything to follow you, but I love, I don't consider it a sacrifice because I'm following you. Because you are the treasure that I've found. You are the pearl that I've found. And because you are worth it, relationship with you makes my life worth living. He's interested in those people. Hot or cold. You can follow him or you can reject him, but tepidness is not an option. Francis Chan, once again, in this uh, book, uh, Crazy Love, tells a story about how he almost joined the Marines. Um, he said that he thought about signing up, but he realized that, um, that he doesn't like running. And if you're a Marine, they tell, they, they, they basically, they own you. They, they, they own your life. They tell you when to get up. They tell you when to go to bed. They tell you when to exercise. They tell you definitely to run. Um, they tell you uh, when to take rest. They own you. He knew that if he's going to sign up for the Marines, he knew the nature of that call. He can't just say, you know, I love going to the gym, but I don't like running. That's not the kind of call that Marines make, commitment that Marines make. And in that way, it's similar. Jesus, in, Jesus is asking for all of our life. We can't pick and choose how we're going to follow Jesus. We're, if we follow Jesus, we are going to have to commit to following him and, and, in, in everything that we do. Uh, and because that relationship brings healing, forgiveness, salvation, true and most satisfying relationship, and the future glory, Jesus can say, you can abandon everything. I'll give you all these things. That's the nature and the call of the gospel. Lukewarm is not an option. Um, but the shock, once again, of it all is that he's not talking to non-Christians out there. He's talking to a church. He's talking to a church that seems outwardly healthy, self-satisfied, to the point they think, you know, I don't know what we can do more, what more we can do. We have everything that we need. But the truth was much, much worse than their self-perception. Uh, the truth, the reality, according to verse 17, was that they were wretched, they were poor, blind, naked, and, 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 and did, they didn't have this uh, clothes of Christ to cover their shame. They couldn't see the reality right, uh, rightly. They might have had the forms of godliness, but lacked substance. And lukewarmness blinds us in that way. Because, you know, if you're hot or cold, you know where they stand. But lukewarm, that tepidness, says, gives you a false sense of well-being. You think, well, we're okay because we do these things. 
because we have given up these things. So we're okay. But that's the deception of having tepid Christianity. Um, and uh, I'm, I'm going to just take this out uh, straight from Francis, uh, uh, Francis Chan's book, uh, Crazy Love. And he says these are some of the symptoms of lukewarm church. Let's just go through them. Um, and let's examine ourselves as we go through them. First, he says, lukewarm church, lukewarm people attend church regularly. It's what's expected of them, um, what they believe uh, good Christians uh, it's, it, they go to church because that's it's what's expected of them. Because that's what good Christians do. And this is about this is what Jesus says in uh, what the Lord says in Isaiah. The Lord says, "These people come near me with their mouth and honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. Their worship of me is made up of only rules taught by men." He's not interested in just church attendance. He's interested in life. Of worship. Number two, lukewarm people tend to choose what is popular over what is right because they desire to fit in both inside of the church but also outside of the church. They care more about what people, uh, what people think um, of their actions um, than what God thinks of their actions. And uh, the, the words uh, that Jesus speaks to people who are religious. Luke six twenty six. Woe to you when all speak well of you, for that is how the fathers, their, your fathers, treated the false prophets. Number three, lukewarm people don't really want to be saved from their sin, but only the penalty of their sin. They don't genuinely hate their sin. They aren't truly sorry about it. They just want to be saved um, from the penalty. They're worried that they might be punished. Romans 6, 1 and 2. What shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace might increase? By no means. We died to sin. How can we sin in it any longer? How can we live in it any longer? Lukewarm people um, are moved by stories about... uh, Number four, I think. Number four. Lukewarm people are moved by stories about people who do radical things for Christ, but they don't act. They assume that this is what extreme Christians do, not for them, not for average Christian. James 4.17, anyone then who knows the good, and good he ought to do it, but doesn't do it, sins. And then there's the story of two sons. Remember the story that Jesus tells. Um, the father tells uh, the two sons what to do. The, uh, the one, one son goes, I'll do it, and, and, and doesn't. And then the other one son, son goes, ah, I don't know if I can do it, but he does it. The true son is the one who does it. The next one, lukewarm people rarely share their faith with their neighbors, coworkers, and friends. They don't want to be rejected, um, nor do they want to make people feel uncomfortable. By talking about religion. This is Matthew ten thirty two thirty three. Whoever acknowledges me before men, I will also acknowledge before him, um, before my Father in heaven. But whoever disowns me before men, I will disown him before my Father in heaven. Lukewarm people next um, gauge their morality or goodness by comparing themselves to non uh, to the secular world. They feel satisfied um, that because they're not hardcore Christians. 
but they're better than the guy, average guy down on the street. This is what the Pharisees, um, Jesus said about the Pharisees. The Pharisees stood up and prayed about himself. God, I thank you that I'm not like other men, robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even the tax collectors. I fast twice and I give a tenth of what I earn, what I get. We're not to gauge who we are by comparing ourselves to the secular world, but we're, we're to gauge who we are by following Jesus, setting our sight on Jesus. Next, um, lukewarm people do what is necessary to uh, keep themselves feel, uh, f- from feeling too guilty. Basically, we want to do the minimum to say, to, to feel ourselves okay. We ask ourselves, how much, do, how much uh, when does it become sin? Or how much do I have to give? Rather than saying, how can I pursue purity? How, can I, how, how much can I give? This is uh, David in First Chronicles 29, 14. But who am I and who are my people that we should be able to give as generously as this? Everything comes from you, and we have given you only what, you, uh, what comes from your hand. They ask the question, what can we give? How much can I give? How much, uh, what can I do to follow Jesus? Uh, lukewarm people, uh, next, uh, uh, do not live by faith, and they structure their lives so that they never have to live by faith. Um, this is a, a, the parable of the rich fool in, in Luke uh, chapter 12. Remember the parable of the rich fool who um, says, who's, who stores up the money, who builds up another barn, and he says, okay, now I can rest. Now I can uh, live my life. And then Jesus says, well, that fool, that, that his life was required that evening. But that's the, thing, the, the kind of things that lukewarm people do. We live our lives. We structure our lives. Um, we earn as much as we can. We save as much as we can. We plan as much as we can. So we never have to live by faith. Of course, in the end, what all this does is that this, is, this results, uh, it, it results from losing sight of who Jesus is. It's because we lose sight of who Jesus is, we go to church out of obligation. Because we lose sight of Jesus, we choose what's popular over what is right. We care more about what other people think than what, what Jesus thinks. It's because we lose sight of Jesus on the cross, we don't want to be rescued from sin because we don't, we don't see the horribleness of sin. We don't want to be rescued from our sin, but only its penalty. Because we lose sight of who Jesus is, we become less than radical because uh, if, if we see Jesus, if we set our, our eyes on Jesus, we have to live our lives radically because Jesus lived his life radically. It's because we have lost sight of Jesus, we do what's minimum to keep ourselves from too, feeling too guilty and not live our lives by faith. If you think then, what's the hope here? What's the good news of following Jesus? Here is what's, what's offered. Even in this church, the church of Laodicea, church that Jesus says he's disgusted with this church, he says um, he offers hope. So let's go back to our passage, Revelation chapter 3. Verse 18 
19, Jesus says he rebukes and he disciplines those he loves. It's because he loves the Laodicean church. He rebukes this church. He says, buy from me gold refined in the fire and cover your shame and open your eyes. And how we do that is by letting Jesus in. He says that he is standing, that he's knocking, and he's calling. He wants Jesus to, he wants us to come in. But um, here's the warning here once again. I'm going to, uh, letting Jesus into our life, letting Jesus into our church is not an easy thing. It's not the kind of message that we go, okay, Jesus, now come in. I'm going to live my life my own way. It means rearranging our lives. If Jesus comes into our house, we have to rearrange the house. We have to rearrange all the furnitures, all that's in there in the house to fit Jesus. Um, I'm going to tell you, uh, there's, uh, I'll tell you what I mean. Uh, recently, uh, just about a month ago, uh, NPR uh, radio, uh, the show reported uh, this uh, 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 finding, of a fi- finding of this picture. It's called um, The Seated Women with Red Head. It was discovered in a small museum in Indiana. It's a painting by Pablo Picasso. It's worth about $30 million dollars. About 40 years ago, this museum received this painting. But because of a clerical mistake, they uh, didn't know that they had it. They, they cataloged it as uh, Gemamel's painting, but apparently that's the technique uh, of pa- painting this sort of picture, not the, not, the, not the painter. But because they miscataloged it, they didn't know that they had this Picasso painting. And it's only when this museum um, curator uh, got a call from an American auction house looking for these Picasso paintings, they, they found that they had this painting in their museum. Here's the thing. The museum collection is worth about $10 million. This picture alone is worth about $30 million. In order to house this painting, what they have to do is they, have to, they will have to restructure the entire museum to put it at the center, to put security systems and alarms around it, um, to make sure that this is what this museum is famous for. And I think this is uh, the sense that I got when I went to uh, when I went to Louvre um, in Paris. Maybe it's because I wasn't I'm not very cultured. Only thing that I wanted to see was the Mona Lisa painting, and I just went. And there were signs around Mona Lisa painting everywhere in Louvre because they know they know that this is what people have come to see. They've structured the entire museum. So, so that people know where Mona Lisa is, and they've structured other things so it befits it. That's the kind of relationship that Jesus demands from us. If Jesus will come in to dine with us in our lives, we have to restructure our lives. Our work, our family, our money, our time, indeed, every part of our life needs to be rearranged so that Jesus will be at the center of our lives, so that we live for him. Now, all these great things are offered. It's not a sacrifice to do this. 
But this, of course, is not easy. In fact, this museum, this small museum in Indiana, they, they decided to give this painting away because they just don't have the means to restructure their entire museum so that they can house uh, this picture. They're going to give it away to a bigger museum. And for some of us, we might say to ourselves, you know, following Jesus is slightly, it's just too costly. It means too much. It means changing my life. I, I can't do that. But I hope most of us, all of us here, well, mo- all of us here will say, no, this is going to be difficult, but I am going to change my life. So Jesus will dine with me, that I can enjoy this intimate fellowship with Jesus. And I just want you to know that this process of rearranging things in our lives It's a lifetime thing. Jesus doesn't require you to make a perfect house as he comes in. He doesn't expect this house, our our lives to be perfect. But as Jesus, as we continue to have this relationship with Jesus, throughout our lifetime, this is something that we will have to work towards. And it will take a lifetime. It won't end in our lifetime. Um, if we won't become perfect, if we won't reach perfection in our lifetime, but that is what's required of us. Hot, I want to give my life to Jesus and follow him. Or cold, it's just too much trouble. I can't do it. Lukewarm is not an option given to the church. The gospel message, the nature and the call is not a message that calls for lukewarmness. And I pray that as Shatian Church looks forward to the coming years, as we think about our vision, as we pray towards it, as we discuss it among our small groups and amongst yourselves, that we'll be a church that gives everything to Jesus. Let's pray.